Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of life, personal, spiritual and professional. We seek to do this through The Genius Podcast, which you're listening to, our Catholic Women's Masterclass and our other online resources and events. If you are interested in finding out about any of these initiatives, you can visit our website www.geniusproject.co or come and follow us on Instagram genius underscore project underscore daily and you can watch the live recordings of these episodes on the Genius Project YouTube channel. So just encourage you if you do visit the YouTube channel to go and subscribe so that you can be notified when a new episode drops. Well ladies on this week's episode of the Genius Podcast I am joined by a very special guest and longtime friend, Father Chris Ryan from the Missionaries of God's Love. In this episode, we're going to explore a whole lot of different areas around faith formation and how we can serve with our gifts, how we can discover our gifts and then use them in service and contribution. It is my great joy and privilege to have Father Chris on the podcast this week. Father Chris Ryan is currently the parish priest of St. Declan's Parish, Penshurst and Our Lady of Fatima Parish in Peakhurst in the Archdiocese of Sydney. Father Chris is a member of the Missionaries of God's Love, an Australian congregation, and was ordained in 2002. He has served in a variety of ministries, including the Preparations for World Youth Day 08, and then as the Rector of the MGL Seminary. Father Chris has written a number of books for youth ministry, and his PhD examines the RCIA as a resource for youth ministry in our secular age. He is also the co-founder of the forthcoming Preaching on Purpose, a divine renovation handbook for communicating the gospel today. Since 2019, Father Chris has been the director of the Arete Center for Missionary Leadership, which forms lay people as leaders in evangelization and parish renewal. This is a great conversation that I hope and pray blesses you and leads you further along in your journey and service. So if you're a woman who is looking to find her place in the church and beyond, if you're a woman who really wants to discover her gifts, I hope that you'll stick around for this week's conversation on the Genius Podcast. Well, Father Chris, welcome to the Genius Podcast. It's such a blessing to have you. You've joined the elite class of the being the fourth man to come on the Genius Podcast. So I want to say a huge welcome to you. Thanks very much, Karen. It's really nice to be with you and to be with all of your listeners. Yeah, well, it's lovely. I know that your um, assistant has been chasing this interview for a while, so it's great to finally have the opportunity to connect. And you and I go a long, long way back. We've got a lot of history all the way back. I think I was in grade 10 when we first met. Uh, You knew my brother, actually, at Marist here in Canberra. But we do have quite a bit of history and I'd love to just share a little bit of that because a lot of the work that you and I are doing today really comes from those early years of formation and really being embedded in a spiritual community, which has, I guess, led to beautiful fruit in both of our lives and the work that we do. Can you think of, I'm wondering what memory you've got, if if I say, let's go back all those years ago to your 10, what memory comes to mind for you? I don't know. Maybe there, I'm opening myself up here for uh, yeah. embarrassment. Oh. There's um, oh, there's a few that come to mind, Karen. Um, <laughs> how like about the way you just said my name? It sounds like you're going to expose me here. Oh my. Well, I, I would. We're friends. I wouldn't do that to you. Yeah, but um, 
I don't even know if you remember this, and I'm not 100% sure I can I ever confessed it to you. Okay. But um, I remember getting a phone call one night to um, invite me to your year 10 formal. And I hopped off the phone and I said, uh, oh, I've just, uh, just got invited to the Sinclair's year 10 formal by, by Karen. And um, my parents went, oh, okay, who's that? And I said, well, I think it's a girl that I met at a, uh, at a conference, like a Catholic retreat kind of experience uh, a month or two ago. And um, and my sister, who was in your year at school, just she went, ah, because uh, <laughs> she, was dis- she was horrified at the thought that I was going to her formal. That's right. Um, but I also, this is the bit that I don't know if I've ever quite confessed to you, which is that um, I actually thought you were someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so, because, you know, like I've met a lot of people at that conference and, you know, the Bunch yeah. of a uh, bunch of year ten St. Clair's girls, and I actually thought it was it was somebody else. So, oh, um, too funny. so yeah, so that's uh, that's one that's that's one well, experience I could share. Well, I'll come. Um, I'll do a this is public confession time. I have, I've got a confession for you too because we went away. We, it was light to the nations. I think it was the first light to the nations at St. Eddie's um, yeah. College, and I was in grade ten. You were grade eleven. And it was quite funny. You were sitting a few rows in front of me and my brother Ben was there. So he's four years younger than me. And I've been trying to find someone to take to the U10 formal. It was an all-girls school. And all the boys that the group my friends were associated with were just drop kicks and not really appropriate young men. And I was stressing and my brother Ben goes, he's really nice. <laughs> and, I, and I remember going away to Queensland and he bought his yearbook and we're flicking through the yearbook and I said, <laughs> And I said, okay, so build up the courage to ask. And, and you were a lovely, um, you accompanied me to the formal and that was that was lovely. And that actually led into us being asked yeah. by one of the teachers who was teaching at Marist at the time for us to join his student leadership team to set up a youth group here in Canberra. Mm-hmm. And, and that youth group was called Discipleship and it's actually still running today. It's called Fusion. And it's just lovely to see the fruits of all of that. But you and I sat on that leadership team for many years Mm. and um, contributed to the start of that youth group as students. And what a blessing it's been. It it sure has. I mean, one of the things that I smile about these days is that there's a number of the the kids who are in that youth group now whose parents we know from when we were kids ourselves, which is a, a little bit of a... A concerning thought in a way it's uh yes, it's not, we're not talking we're not talking about last year are we we're talking about uh some time ago but um 1990 yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah um, that's a little while ago it's a little it's a little while ago isn't it yeah yeah but i do think you're right though i think back to the, that time though and i think back to um how i guess how seminal that time was for both of us um i mean we both come from families where faith was really important to us uh, and to our families, but I think um, certainly for myself, and and I think this is true for you too, is that it was in a really significant way through that youth group that um, that we came to maybe a, a a much deeper personal faith for ourselves, where we um, maybe you know, I know for myself at any rate, I I, I felt like I encountered uh, the Lord, encountered Jesus for the first, oh, like in a personal way for myself in and through our experience of that, and it also it also um, it did challenge us to to step up into leadership as well. Like I I, th- I don't I I wasn't that wasn't kind of high on my list of priorities at the time, but it was a really important part of uh, that experience. Was I I realised that there was something 
something in me that wanted to do that i think with with others to help people to, yeah. to encounter the lord for themselves and also to to be able to help um our church to be able to to reach out particularly the young people better than we maybe have in the past yeah you know, absolutely and interesting that you noticed that there was that seed of vocation in you all those years ago at that time i don't think i had the same experience i think i was pushed way beyond my comfort zone i was actually a really quiet shy girl and I remember Oh man, like to be asked to give a talk, I would be in absolute conniptions. I don't remember, we had a camp. I don't know if you remember this, but you'd come over to my parents' house and we were given a talk to workshop together and you came across, so you were so smart and I just felt so inadequate and just was frozen thinking, I can't give this talk at this camp. You were very kind, but I, I look back and think the irony of not wanting to ever public speak and now that's what I do uh, for a living it's funny that God even though you may not sense the seed of vocation that the Lord is moving through those experiences and um, it was such a formative season of life I think for me it was just being yeah pushed shoved way outside my comfort zone and uh, yeah lots of funny stories (laughs) yeah but I but I I I I remember I remember us preparing that that talk together very well and um and I remember you being nervous, mm-hmm. um, but I also remember then when you got up to speak and we, you know, we gave the talk together and um, the authority with which you gave that and the, the quiet conviction. Um, so, you know, you um, mm-hmm. uh, you had just a, there's a presence that you've had right back to then, you know, to mm-hmm. when we were you know, 15, 16 years of age, um, yet there's a presence that you had there that um, that I think it doesn't, it has absolutely hasn't surprised me that you've gone on to do the things that you have. Yeah. Um, because I, I definitely think that you could see it there and and in both both in speaking but also in in, in leadership as well the way that mm. you do lead in, in so many ways um you could it wasn't like those things weren't present I, I absolutely hear you were caught out of your comfort zone but yeah. they were they were there they were there back then for sure yeah thank you well I I do see that now I, I absolutely see that and I think sometimes in our life we may feel a call but fear will contain us. And I think the enemy loves to contain us so that we never actually step into our unique mission and our purpose. And I think that is definitely true for me. And um, my husband, Jonathan, was a pivotal person in really leading me as my husband sort of through that fear and to Jesus, actually. He was always leading me to Jesus. And I remember probably two years into our marriage, just going through a really difficult time. It was the start of a six-year journey of infertility, and it, which really broke me over those years. And But I think it was absolutely necessary because what happened is it brought me to my knees before the Lord so he could rebuild my identity without that fear. So I think when I came out of that season, there was a fear that had lifted off me and there was a freedom to really pursue. It took a lot of hard work and trust um, and often, you know, not giving a great talk about learning from those experiences to be where I am today as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I have a I have a, another memory actually of um so of that time actually I was a, I was a new baby priest in Canberra I'd only been ordained a, a year you were or two, a deacon at our wedding actually I just remembered um, there you go and uh, and deacon maybe maybe an acolyte was I already ordained I, I think you were almost you know you weren't you were about to be maybe. ordained I think what year were you what year were you married two thousand and one. So yeah, no. So I still would have been. I was ordained a deacon okay. and a priest in two thousand two. So I think I, I think I served the mass. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So um, but I do remember as a as a baby priest in the you know couple, like a little bit later on, um, you know, you and Jonathan um, 
would catch up with me and we'd and you'd share and particularly as you were trying to conceive and um i remember you know lots of conversations sometimes the both of you sometimes um just jonathan and um and then i remember one time it was after mass and you said can we catch up and and you took me you took me down to the shops mm-hmm. down to the cafes down in monica there, there in canberra and um the way jonathan started i remember he kind of was like we just you know I can't remember exactly how he put it, but it was something, something to, to tell you. <laughs> I felt, and I felt like it was sort of, it was, it was actually, I just felt, I felt it was more of the struggle again. Mm-hmm. And you, you told me you were pregnant and I am um, uh, not ashamed to say that I, I got a bit teary and, uh, mm-hmm. but I also might've sort of said something somewhat, something that shouldn't be repeated on a podcast. Cause I felt very embarrassed that I was in this cafe and I was you know, a little bit uh, emotional, but uh, with joy, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, um, that uh, you'd managed, you've, of all the places you decided to break that news to me, <laughs> it was kind of in a, in a very public place. So, um, but it was such a it was a beautiful moment, yeah. and I um, and I do remember, but I do remember the 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 pain of that and then the challenge of that. And I think here's the thing about every vocation. I think um, in the end, it, um, every vocation I think gets proved in the crucible of suffering. You know, it um, does. The, the other thing I remember, Karen, I don't remember when we had this conversation. It, it's it's not that long. When I say it's not that long ago, it's it's not the thirty years that we've been talking about. It's more like about it's more like about ten, maybe, or something. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but I remember remember you and I we were chatting. We'd, we'd caught up somewhere and we're chatting, and we we just talked about the fact that um, and I guess we probably were looking back, but we were talking a bit about the fact that we wanted to. Um, that in both of our lives we wanted to make a, a difference and a contribution. Um and and I think, you know, there was something in us, you know, that was, you know, I think that the Lord put on us. I think some of our mentors, like I think the the teacher that you spoke about yeah. was certainly a seminal kind of figure in this, but we wanted to make a contribution and a difference. And we were prepared to to make some sacrifices for that. And I I know and you have um you know in your in your life in lots of different ways. And I feel really blessed. I don't know how many big sacrifices I've made, really, but um, I think uh, you know, to make a contribution, to make a difference, to um, you know, like I, I sometimes say to young people, I became a priest because I want to change the world. You know, mm. Um, mm. Uh, you know, to see the world be more what the Lord would want it, want for it to be, you know, for His redemptive purpose to actually have an impact and an effect uh, in people's lives. So. Um, mm. So I do, but I do think back to I think again the seeds of that persona as as a uh, yes. 16, 17 year olds really. Yeah. And it was such a I remember going, they had formation nights where the adults hosted these nights for all the young people with the intention of very intentionally forming them in their faith, in in the life in the Holy Spirit, in prayer and relationships and all the different arenas of life. And that was so important. And like you said, so many people from that group all those years ago, we're all still friends. We might not be close and catch up regularly, but there's that deep heartfelt connection. And I think what was really beautiful about that time was these soulful friendships that were birthed um, that really have carried us and, you know, we're able to support each other near and far through very different seasons of life and, and our vocations. And that's been a huge gift as well. So, yeah. It has. Yeah. It has. yeah. Now, I just, I mean, this sharing too many memories, but I just had a memory of that camp. Do you remember the slime? Of that course. That first of course. I can't believe you still spoke to me after that. So for the listeners, there was this camp that we had and there was a river full of slime. And um, I think 
Jonathan's older brother was one of the leaders at the time. I didn't even know Jonathan. And he and I collected bags of slime and hid it in this camp. And we're in sharing group. And I saw you go and nick the slime. And then we we nicked it back off you. And I think Jonathan's older brother may have put it in your hairbrush, which was terrible. So that wasn't that wasn't me. You know, um, <laughs> I just bleed innocence. <laughs> yeah, I can. I hear you that. You know what? I, I must have blocked. I've blocked that out. Like oh, I remember sorry. the slime. I don't. I don't remember the the, the stealing supplies of it and, and that sort of stuff. But I do. I remember the. I remember. Uh, I remember you know the whole camping in the river and throwing slime at each other, but that's that's where the memory stopped there. Oh the, dear, okay. So the other I'm scars, the other scars, I've clearly blocked out. I've I've pushed down, you know. So, <laughs> well, Chris, since our that journey, like all those years ago, so much has happened. Um, so much, you know. Both you and I have had incredible experiences. I'd love for you to share with our listeners, I guess, your journey over the past sixteen years. And because you were parish priest here in Canberra when we fell pregnant with Olivia, our eldest daughter. And then from there, you've just gone on to do some pretty incredible things, actually, and and found mm. and lead people to Christ in, in beautiful ways. So would you share a little bit about your journey from where you left Canberra 16 years ago? Sure. Um, well, I guess I guess part of, you know, what what I think has always kind of been central for me has been the the experience as a 16-year-old kid and thinking, you know, I'm an ordinary Aussie kid. And if if God loves me in the way that he's revealed that to me, then he loves everybody like that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not anybody special. I'm a, a really ordinary guy. Um, but God had, had just shown me that that personal, unique love for me. And I just wanted to share that. Um, and that's so how that led me to the priesthood um, and a, a deep experience of call to be, become a priest. And as you say, I, um, I spent my first couple of years of priesthood back in Canberra, um, uh, assistant priest and then a parish priest in, a, in, a, in our parish there as a missionary of God's love priest. And um, that was great. Um, when they announced that the Sydney World Youth Day was coming to us, you know, the World Youth Day was coming to Sydney um, in 2008. So this was back in, in 2006. I remember thinking, that's fantastic. I hadn't been a parish priest for very long. I remember thinking, well, the way my, I'll be involved is I'll be able to take a group of young people from the parish to the World Youth Day. Um, but I got a call from uh, Father Ken, the founder of the Missionaries of God's Love, who's been on your podcast, and mm-hmm. um, and he just said, "I've just got a, I've just, I've just had an interesting conversation. Um, they'd like uh, an MGL to to be part of the World Youth Day preparations, taking the World Youth Day cross around Australia in the lead up to World Youth Day." Um, so it's kind of like the Olympic torch. John Paul II gave it to the youth of the world back in '86, and it's travelled around the um, the host country of every World Youth Day since, and kind of continues to travel around the world. So um, I, uh, and then and then Father Ken said, actually, they've asked if you would do that, and I it didn't take. I'm not sure how much real like great discerning I did about that, Karen. I just went, yeah, that sounds yes. amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, um, the funny part, I don't know if you remember this, is that. You and I had both met that World Youth Day cross before, um, that back really? in 19, 1992, so you would have been coming to the end of year 11 and I was just okay. finishing year 12. It was known then as the Papal Youth Cross. It hadn't been called the World Youth Day cross, but it, it had come to Australia. I think okay. the, I think Antioch had brought it to Australia and it came to the cathedral and to the mass, the 7 o'clock mass that you and I used to go to oh. um, really regularly. It was the weekend. It's possible you weren't there because it was the weekend that Father Steve Tynan got ordained. Okay. Our first, our first priest. So maybe you'd been at 
another mass or something like that. But I gave my testimony in front of the cross that night. And uh, so there was this little moment of, you know, when the Lord just breathes things together and all of a sudden you think, actually, maybe I was kind of, I feel like I was built for this. I was I was made for this, you know. Um, yeah, called called to do it. So, um, so I spent uh, about 12 months preparing and then about 12 months traveling around Australia uh, with a gr- two groups of young adults um, visiting hundreds of communities, um, yeah, I think we estimate that, um, you know, I think it was something like a million people came out to see the World Youth Day cross around Australia, um, all leading up to the World Youth Day in Sydney. So um, for someone who just wanted young people to come and know and encounter the person Jesus, it was an amazing opportunity. Mm. Um, and, I, and I loved it. And in a lot of ways, you know, it gave me a chance to experience and see the Australian church in a way that maybe very few people ever get the opportunity to, um, you know, just, you know, from big dioceses to really remote communities and, and everything in between. So I, I think it was a really, it really shaped me. It was a really seminal experience mm-hmm. for me again. Just, um, yeah, my passion had been youth ministry and this was kind of youth ministry writ really large. Um, mm, yeah. And you wrote a book, didn't you? As a result. I did. Yeah. I wrote, a, I wrote a book that just kind of tried to capture some of the stories. I've just felt like we were privileged to be witnesses to most amazing experiences, particularly as people encountered, um, the Lord through the through the experience and through the Word Youth Day Cross in, in particular. And so I just tried to take different stories from the journey and then just tie that into different uh, elements or aspects of our faith. So it's kind of like a it's kind of a catechetical piece, I guess, yeah. in a way. Not not exactly a memoir and and but a, a little bit of that, but more about trying to help people to understand what we believe and why we believe it all through the lens of of the the Word Youth Day Cross and and the icon of Mary that, that came with it. Yeah. Beautiful. And then, you know, that wasn't enough, was it? You went on and did your doctorate. And... Yeah, well, I, I went, one of the best things that probably could have ever happened to me after the, after World Youth Day was I was asked to go in, back into our formation program. So I spent seven years working with our guys who were studying to be priests, our seminarians. And uh, I really enjoyed that. I never would have chosen it. But again, I kind of felt like it was the right thing at the time to do. And um, that did give me the chance to to begin works on my work on my research uh, for my PhD. So my my doctorate um, looks at youth ministry and particularly looks at the RCIA, so the process by which um, an unbaptized adult becomes a Catholic, and just to try to apply some of the principles in that to youth ministry. Mm. So, I yeah, I spent a fair bit of time working on that. That kind of, um, you know, that scratched the nerd itch in me. Um, <laughs> you know, I had the chance to really dig into the things that I just am passionate about and believe in. So mm. particularly around evangelization and, and how do we help young people, particularly today uh, in the culture that we're in now yeah. to encounter the Lord for themselves. Yeah. And again, then, born of our experience way back when. Yes. But then again, that wasn't enough. <laughs> it's amazing. God, just these stepping stones, right? I know I look back over Jonathan and my experience and I was a registered nurse, oncology, palliative care trained. And then from, there to running a media business and and doing women's ministry. God has very specific plans for us, doesn't he? And he he unfolds one at a time. So the next evolution of that for you, I guess, is what you're doing now and and your parish priest in Sydney, but you are serving, I guess, the whole of Australia in a very powerful way with the foundation of the Arete Centre. Can you share a little bit about what that is and how that came about? What was the seeds for that? Yeah, terrific. Well, I think um, the seeds of the Arete Centre were kind of born in me partly through my experience of as a youth minister and, and particularly World Youth Day and then also in seminary formation where I went, 
how do we help uh, our church to evangelize um, and to be better equipped to evangelize? Um, and then also recognizing that to do that, people need to be formed um, and formed, especially as leaders. And so uh, when I was thinking about what life would look like after I finished in seminary formation, the um, the idea of the Arete Center was born. So um, it, its full title is the Arete Center for Missionary Leadership. And so it's our aim is we want to contribute to the renewal of the church uh, in this part of the world. Um, and we particularly want to do that by forming lay people as leaders for mission. Uh, and so one of the things that um, we think is really important about that is that that's a whole person reality. I think that there, at times people can think, oh, if I just learn how to do something, I can go off and do it. Or if I get the ideas that I need, then that'll be enough that that then I'll know what to do. And yeah. um, and what we're trying to do with the Rete Center is to uh, actually say, no, there's a, there's a whole person formation that's required, something that really addresses who you are as a human person as it um you know that you know that beautiful line of saint Irenaeus that the glory of god is the human person fully alive yeah. um and so we really want to we really work with people at that level we give them a rich experience of spiritual formation um uh really centered upon you know the, that just the most foundational truth of catholic faith which is that god has loved us so much in the person mm. of jesus that yeah. he would die for us and bring us into a new life with him so and then a spirituality that flows out of that. And we particularly draw upon um, Ignatian spirituality, so the, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Then we do do some intellectual formation, particularly around the church's theology of mission. And then we also try and get really practical in, well, how do you evangelize and how do you lead? Mm. Um, how do you how do you help turn particularly our parishes, but also other ministries into places where um, genuine evangelization happens and where you know, particularly our parishes can be places that have come alive and really are able to receive and meet and encourage and walk with and disciple people as they go on mm. the journey of faith. So very much more to my experience and and passions. Um, and uh, it's a it's a nine month course, and uh, we're into our this is our fourth year running it, and um, it's been really exciting to see people get involved in it. Yeah, and I know so many people who have been through it, and they just love it. They've received so much. So congratulations! It's just such a gift to the life of the church here in Australia, and to lay people particularly. I, I just think it's fabulous, and I love that you talk about the spiritual formation of the whole person. Because I often think, you know, having mentored and walked with women for many years, if we're not going back to ground zero, and this is my experience, that God had to bring me to my knees to reform me and, and in my identity first before I could step out into my purpose and mission. If we rush ahead into trying to achieve different things, then it's not necessarily going to be sustained because what is in us won't sustain the mission that is on us. And I, I think that is so important. And I mean, we serve a God, he's a God of restoration. So he wants to restore, he wants to transform us, not for our own sake alone, but so then we can be his light and lead the way to him for others. And I think what you're doing is just so wonderful and so needed in this particular moment in history. I think I talk to lots of people and there's just a doom and gloom mentality, which I understand. I feel it myself. The culture coming out of COVID is it's a very dark place. It's a different world, a lot of different struggles. I think women with children particularly look around and, and we're all concerned about 
just the pressures that are on young people today, some of the ideologies that are being pushed, the lack of church attendance, the lack of community, people out of COVID, coming out of COVID have not necessarily reconnected um, on mm -hmm. those deeper relationships. So what I find pastoring a lot of women is that a lot of them are doing it alone. There's a lot mm -hmm. of isolation that's still occurring. So, yeah, I think what you're doing is just so important for, for people and God really wants to restore us. But going back to this idea that the culture is a dark place, there is an idea, and I do hear it in people, of wanting to just retreat and withdraw. And I understand that I have my own children and, and I want to protect them. And I think it is important to withdraw a little bit. But as adults, we're actually called to be missionaries. We're called to be out in the marketplace uh, selling the gospel of Jesus Christ to people because if we're concerned about the darkness, then there's all these souls that are wandering around in this darkness that are being impacted by the self-entitlement, the narcissism, the culture that we live in. And really, for those who have been given much, much will be expected. And so we have a role. God is calling us to be that light to people. And, and I love that. Can you speak a little bit into that, I guess, that mentality of wanting to retreat completely in the face of the challenges and the culture we're living through? Mm, yeah. Um, I, I think you've captured that really well. And I, I think there's two parts to the way I'd like to respond to that. The first one is that I think it absolutely is natural to want to protect the people that you love from things that are going to be destructive and corrosive in their lives. And that's a such a normal response and reaction. And there's something um, that's actually an important part of, say, the vocation to motherhood that, that does that, that you do look after your kids in that way. Um, what I'd also say, though, is that I, I honestly think that part of the, the, the darkness of the culture and the ways that the places that people can go and the difficult places they can end up in also means that there are people walking around who are deeply hurting really wounded by life who um you know when at the at the end of an ideology ideology that's destructive of the human person are really hurt people and that's actually the, the lord's heart breaks for those people the lord wants those people to come to know him to be healed to be set free um but the lord's the lord's method has always been to say well um in, in a way, he would say, I've done everything that's needed for their ultimate salvation through through the cross. Um, but I need you to talk about it. I need you to tell, I need you to tell other people about it. And I particularly need you to be joyful witnesses in the midst of darkness. I need you to be light in dark places. And and you, I I think there's a real flipping on the on its head here that when the places are really dark, well, well, lights are brighter, right? So if we can be in those places, you know, Jesus always says to us that we're to be um, in the world but not of the world, you know. So that there's something in that dynamic of retreating sometimes that says, well, we don't want to be in the world anymore. Well, we can't be of the world, but we absolutely need to be in the world because the world needs us. Oh, sorry, the world needs us and Jesus needs us to be present mm. in the world. Mm. And I, I think the, you know, the, the crucial bit there is that if we can, we can be the right sort of witness because I think lots of people do look at, at Christians and they they think that that we're toxic or they think that we're anti whatever they're they're passionate about or committed to or something like that. But if we can be the presence of Jesus in those places, if we can witness to His unfailing love for people, I think you know there's something the Holy Spirit's at work in those people too, and then He's doing something that can draw them uh, and draw them and draw them 
you know, to the to to God, to Jesus, and and ultimately then to their own restoration, mm. as you were saying before, to their healing. And I think you know that's that's our mission. We've got it. You know, Jesus Jesus didn't give us an option about this. He says, "Go out into the world and make disciples of all nations." Yes. So we've got to take that up. Um, but I think, and I think, sorry. Oh, there's that just, mandate, isn't there? Like it's a mandate. It's not just an option. If you're going and doing this, no. Yeah. If you're a Christian, Christ has called you. So there's yeah. a mandate. Yeah. And I think that when we have had that experience of love, of the Lord's love ourselves, we, we want to share that. You, you, you want others to know that. I think often the challenge for people is they don't know how. That's right. And, uh, yeah. and so that's part of what we're trying to meet with the Irete Centre is we want to help people to understand you can do it. It's not as scary or as frightening as you might think, um, and that you can be you can be braver and step out into it and, and give it a go. Absolutely, um, and and the, and the amazing things can happen when you do. Yes, and and I think what I love about what you're doing is you're rebuilding or facilitating that rebuilding of the person and that internal scaffolding that needs to be really solid if you are going to step out in mission. But then you are giving people the opportunity to discover their gifts, to discover what are the seeds of vocation within them. And I love that. And I think it's so important because so many people have a desire to serve, but like you said, they don't know how, or they don't know what their gifts are. There's no point serving if you're not operating in your gift. And that's tying into that St. Irenaeus quote, like the glory of God is man or woman fully alive. Like when we're operating in our gift, and we often say when you're running in your lane, like there's nothing more beautiful than watching a person, you know, at the height of their gift. I often look at Alyssa, who's a friend of mine, she sings. And when she sings, it's just captivating because she's operating in the height of her gift where the Lord has her. And it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. So I think when you witness that, it gives other people permission to start to discover what their gifts are. Mm-hmm. On, on your website, I, I've pulled this little quote because I really like the description that ties into, I guess, your mission there. It says, like a ship, we also must rely on the wind, the power of the Holy Spirit to fuel our sails and propel us towards our destination. I wonder if you can speak into that idea of being a ship and discovering our gifts and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in that process. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So you've, what you've taken that from is is our motto, which is um, so it's a Latin phrase that says "velis et remis," which means with um, with sails and oars. Mm. And the idea is that um, that in ancient times, when if you had a, if you had people on a ship, if they wanted to go as fast as they possibly could, if they wanted to go all out as quickly as they as they could to achieve their goal, to get to where they wanted to go, you'd cry out, you'd hear the cry "velis et remis," and that would mean that you'd make sure that all the sails were up to to catch the wind. And that you'd also have everybody on the oars to be rowing as much as you possibly could, and we've we've used that as our motto of the Arete Center because it captures, I think, um, this really important dynamic that on the one hand, um, there's things that we can do. We can row the oars. There's things as as people, as human beings, that we can do and learn, discover, and put into practice that are just deeply human human activities and practices. And we need to be able to do that and we need to be able to harness those energies for evangelization in our world today for the sake of the church's renewal so that people will come to know the saving love of God. But um, because, because we're people of faith, um, it was not just about that. If it was just that, we'd be a, an NGO, we'd be some kind of human 
you know, human-centered organization rather than being the church. And, and so the whole sense of the sales is that we rely on the Holy Spirit um, to lead us and to guide us, to give us those nudgings and promptings about when to say something to somebody when it comes to evangelizing or to help us when we've got to make a decision in leadership, but also and especially um, that the Holy Spirit has given us gifts and, and the gifts that he's given me are different from the gifts that he's given you and different from the gifts that he's given the next person. There's, there's a whole bunch of gifts that we learn about in the New Testament. And each of them, when people are using their gifts uh, and they're doing that for the sake of the kingdom of God, um, first of all, they're really fruitful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can I can think of things that in those early days before I had much of a clue about this, um, doing different things that I was terrible at. Um, I mean, you know, and you, you laugh about them. One of the, our drama, I remember, you know, I, horrible, horrible at it. Um, it's traumatic. No one ever, no one ever, <laughs> no one ever asked me, to, no one ever asked me to sing either, right? So, <laughs> <Not me either. laughs> so everybody's got those, got different gifts, but when you do find and discover the gifts that you've got, um, that you're fruitful. Like there's a there's an ease with what you're doing. It it comes naturally to you. Uh, or supernaturally, really, mm-hmm. and 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 what happens is that it's effective. That people um, people experience and encounter God's grace. So your friend Alyssa, who I, I know as well, um, yeah, you know, when she sings, people are drawn into the presence of God. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and the other bit that I'd add here too, Karen, is um, we often think about this in kind of like a solitary sort of way, so that it's I've got to work out my gifts, I've got to discover what they are, so I can put them into service, but. There's something amazing that happens when you have actually a community of people who know their gifts and are using them together in, in collaboration with each other. That's when that's when a place, a ministry, a parish, a community, that's when it takes off yeah. because you've actually got people all using their gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And um, it, it almost, I, I, I like the expression, it creates almost like a force field of conversion. People can walk in and they go, I don't know what, there's something different about something. this place and these people. Yeah. And they can't, they don't have the language for it, but what they're really experiencing is people exercising their gifts, they're cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And what that means then is that um people experience God almost tangibly, as it were. They just they yes. just become aware that God's there the meeting them and, and speaking to them, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. so beautiful, Chris. You've described that really well. And I like once again, it's just such an important ministry that you are spearheading there. Um, and it's open to people from all over Australia, isn't it? It is. So we um we run the course. Uh, the program is it's largely online. Um, so we have Wednesday night lectures, and they're live lectures, so you can really get in, engaged in the con- in the conversation. Um, but then we also have four living intensives a year as well. Okay. So people come to um to a beautiful retreat center just outside of Sydney, and we um we gather there four times a year. So. Um, because and part of that is really again just to tie it back to our to our teenage years. Part of that is is born of the experience that you and I had, along with a bunch of our friends, of going to live in you know camps and and summer schools and those sorts of things, and knowing how formative and and transformative they were for us. And so because I wanted people to together. have that experience. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that in person yeah. event is just so important, isn't it? That shared yeah. experience. Yeah. I'm wondering if we can jump from that now into, I guess, the role that women play because the Genius Podcast is a podcast specifically for women and this is very much a contested space when it comes to women's role in the church and and you and I have both sort of countered this at different times. But 
I think what a reshe does is it really gives women a place to discover their gifts and very practical ways in which they can activate those gifts in service and contribution of the church and beyond the church walls too. Like this this call to evangelization is not simply just for the parish. It might be in somebody's workplace or building a new ministry or any number of outreaches. It's not confined to the parish. So I guess let's start by just looking at, I guess, the issue of um, women, because we often, I often hear that argument from different women. Well, why can't we be priests? And it's not an equal playing field. Can you speak a little bit into that struggle? I guess, and, and mm. I guess, just acknowledging also that sometimes um, that's coming from a place of hurt and brokenness. That you know, the whole church is made up of broken people, and there are broken people who bring their woundedness. There's priests who perhaps have not led well, um, and that has caused wounds in the hearts of people. Can you speak into that? Those two mm. things for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and I think it is important to acknowledge that um, that sometimes when when women are feeling this issue acutely, it is actually born of personal experience where they they have felt um, shut down in some way, or they've felt like their gifts haven't been received by whether it's a particular individual uh, or and, and leadership, or whether it's by um, by a group at large or something like that. And I, I do think that's important to recognise that that's certainly part of the story of some people's lives. Um, and, and I guess a big part of it for me is to say, well, it can actually really be different. It can look really different to that. Um, and, and I think and I think it does. Um, so there's there's a couple of elements there that I think are worth picking up. And the first one is to say that um, I remember, you know, as a seminarian, I went to the Philippines for, um, for a year's formation. And uh, I had an American spiritual director when I was there. And at the end of our now, my last session with him, he said, oh, what are some of your reflections and I, on the year? And I said a few things. He said, what about the country? And I said a few things. Then he said, um, what, what about um, what about women and uh, in the Philippines? And uh, I thought about it for a minute and I said, well, here's, here's the thing. They, um, um, uh, they drive so much without, in a, in a machismo kind of culture, they drive so much of it. And he said, yeah, I, I think the church, if the women in this country stopped working, the, um, the church would fall over in three days and the rest of the country would fall over in four. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think there's something there's something really important here, and that is that um, that there are all sorts of places to lead in the church and there are all sorts of uh, contributions to leadership that women can make in the church. And I, I want to single out a couple uh, really clearly. You know, I here at St. Declan's in the parish where I serve, where I'm parish priest, um, I have a, we have a, leadership, a senior leadership team and... Uh, there's myself, there's an assistant priest on that leadership team. The other three are, are women. And that's the decision-making um, engine room of the parish, right? Like they, those three those three women um, lead in really important ways. You know, one of them is the evangelization coordinator. The other one oversees all of the ministry in the parish. Um, that they're, they're leading in really powerful and important kind of ways. Um, and so I think there are incredible opportunities for women to exercise leadership. Um, and, and part of what we're trying to do at the Arete Centre is, is rec firstly recognise that and then further empower women to be able to exercise that, that leadership. The other thing I'd want to say here that I think is really important is that leadership in the church is always about service. Yes. Uh, it's always about service. And so sometimes when people point to the fact that you know, the church's teaching is that men can be men the, the priesthood is is reserved to men um 
there can sometimes be a, a, a missing of the fact that, that this is actually not about uh, a call to power, but a call to a call to laying one's life down in service of others. And the other piece that I really like to talk about in this is, um, yeah, we, we talk about our church being hierarchical, mm-hmm. and it is okay. So that the word hierarchy actually comes from the word for priest, and so it's a saying that we're an organisation that's led by priests. So there's you know that there are bishops, priests, and deacons, um, and and that makes up the the hierarchy of the church. Um, but there's also another hierarchy in the church um, that's really, you might call it the hierarchy of baptism or, or even better, perhaps the hierarchy of holiness. Mm-hmm. And that is that because of our baptism, we are all called to be holy. And, and the people who are at the top of that hierarchy, if you like, are the saints. Mm-hmm. And our, our church's faith is that the, the person who's at the top of that hierarchy is a woman. It's our, it's our lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the ordained priesthood is at purely at the service of that hierarchy of holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so the priesthood is is not the ordained ministry is is not about um, anything other than helping the hierarchy of holiness to be everything it can be. Now the priests fail to do that uh, all the time, myself included. But that's our job. Our our vocation is to help people to be holy and and to recognise that at the the high point, the apex of that hierarchy is actually Mary, Mm -hmm. I think just helps us to understand that there's something really different going on here from, say, a a different kind of organisation where, you know, it was a boys' club and there was a glass ceiling for women that they could never get into. Mm -hmm. Um, The the truth of the matter is is that our Lord did reserve um, ordination, you know, our teaching, the te- teaching of the church is that the Lord did reserve teach the ordination to, to men, um, and that's we see that in the calling of the twelve. We see that in the unbroken tradition of the church throughout the last two thousand years. It doesn't mean that women aren't to exercise leadership. It's just one particular element of leadership, and a, a big part of what I think we're trying to do at the Arete Center is to reclaim the fact that that there needs to be many leaders in, yes. in our church, uh, of which the ordained ministry is really crucial, but it's not the only one. If I was to, if I was to try and, I, I can't imagine trying to exercise leadership uh, without doing that in collaboration with, um, in fact, the extraordinary group of women who work here in the parish, the Arete Centre is no different, and, uh, and we want at the Arete Centre to help women to actually step into what they've been called to do and to lead in the ways that they're empowered and gifted and called by God to lead as well. Mm. That's a very beautiful explanation. I love that hierarchy of holiness. It's a, I haven't heard that before, but it's a beautiful um, way to look at it, isn't it? It's really, it just, really it just It just turns it on its head, Karen. Like, mm. the, you know, it, it means that, it means that for me as a you know for me as a man as a priest um what am i aspiring to well i'm not aspiring to be a bishop or a pope or anything i'm aspiring to be like mary mm. who loved jesus so perfectly like that's it just shifts how you think about what really is important here and it just it also speaks to the fact that while the church is a human organization in many ways it's also an organization like no other because it's it's just configured so differently because it is christ's body because mm. and because the church is his bride Beautiful. I love that. It's fantastic. And I I think, you know, there is a place to acknowledge the wrongs and the hurts that have happened. Um, I I fully support that. But my experience um, with a couple of groups has been that they remain stuck 
in that pain and they remain stuck in the complaints. And I think once you've had that opportunity to, I guess, voice those and, and then ask the Holy Spirit in to heal those and that might need to be done with a counsellor or somebody and, and prayer ministry, there comes a point where you have to move beyond that pain um, and use that. We talk about that redemptive suffering. So how can that pain, if, if somebody, if a woman has been hurt, how can she then allow the Lord to transform that pain so that it can be a gift and part of her story to other people to show them the way? And I think, you know, for me, the Genius Project and the Genius Podcast was actually born out of an experience with a particular group of women who were complaining for many, many, many years, actually, not just a one-off complaint. And in the time that they was going over and rehearsing over and over and they were stuck in that pain, I was able to move forward and, and create what I have now. And I think there's that's that fruitfulness that when we bring pain to the Lord, he can transform it. But then we're not we're not meant to stay stuck. So we're meant to use that and to then offer that as a gift. And so I really want to encourage women, if they are stuck in that pain, to seek out avenues to receive healing because the Lord wants to use you no matter what experience you've had, there is a call and a mission on your life. Um, and just seeking out people who can help you move beyond that pain is really, really important. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo and affirm all of that. I think that's really, really important. And and I think also to say in that too, you know, um, that there's an opportunity as well for um, when, when, when the Lord you know the lord in his in his you know mysterious grace allows some of these things to happen sometimes um the way that that can be transformative that if you if you actually bring are able to bring that to him the lord can use you to do um extraordinary things coming out of that and that, that in fact that's always the way the lord works the lord always um, meets us in our experience of pain of weakness of brokenness and if we allow him to work that transformation, then it's actually from there that we're able to minister, and that's part of the the the, the fruitfulness, the the life, because it's really the it's really the dynamic of the death and the resurrection of Jesus playing mm -hmm. out. Um, and and I, I think it's fair to say that you know I, I you know I see I see this in you, I see this in um, you know the women that are on the the team here in the parish, and and others who are serving in different ministries here in the parish. I see it in the in the Arete Center staff as well, um, women have the most extraordinary opportunity to bring something um, that that I don't bring. Mm. Um, you know, they 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 bring something that I can't because I'm I'm a, I'm a different person with different gifts. Um, our, our church needs to be able to celebrate that. Our church needs to be able to receive those gifts. Mm. Um, our church is crying out for for the contribution that can be made there. Mm. Um, but I also think that we're we're um we're in a very in a really different place. Like, and if I could pick up one example, and it's a it's probably a delicate one, Karen. But um, I, I really do think that if you know, in acknowledging some of the of the of the grievous faults of the past, and women have been on the on the end of that. Um, but I, I think if um if women had been able to be allowed in the past more fully into um, into ministry in the ways that I've been talking about, you know, mm -hmm. serving on a, on parish leadership and that kind of thing. I, I don't think the abuse crisis would have looked like it looked no. because I think I think women would have said something, spoken up, um, protected young people uh, in a way that 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 men and that many in our church didn't do. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think the opportunity is 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 ripe now for people to be for women to be able to step into to roles where they are making an incredibly important contribution to the church. And so, I you know I really would want to say to your listeners that um that if you're if there's a discontent in you, um that 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 discontent can actually there's there's unhealthy discontents, but there's also holy discontents, and those holy discontents are that. You know, there's something in me, the Lord's nudging and pushing and prompting me to do something more to make a deeper, bigger contribution. I would say, well, that that may well be the Holy Spirit nudging you and calling you forth. Like you should go for that because our church, our church needs it, and our church is in a place, in a way that it arguably hasn't been for a long time to be able to receive that gift in a really powerful and important way. Yeah, beautiful, Chris. Thank you. Can I ask you just for a moment to speak into the experience for women? So there'll be women who are listening to this, who won't go through a rete, many will, but some won't, what can they practically do? What have you got on offer for them to start, I guess, to plough the grounds of their soul, to unearth, I guess, some of their gifts, um, and then to start to think creatively about where they might be able to serve and contribute with Mm. those gifts? Because I hear a lot of women say, I've got this gift, but my parish priest won't let me do anything. What can they practically do? Um, yeah, great. A to find their gifts, and B, if they're in a parish or a place where those gifts aren't being recognised, what can they do? Yeah, terrific. Well, firstly, just let me say, I hope many of your listeners do come and do a rete. So with do us. I. I think it's great. Uh, I'll be plugging it. <laughs> but, uh, but I would say too, and I think it's a really important question: is um, firstly, in the finding of your gifts or discovering the gifts that you've been given, um, there are a couple of things I think are really important. The, f- the first one is. Um, you just it's to pay attention to where you come alive um, and to pay attention to where you are seeing fruit in your life where when you are doing something um, it might be you know somebody might be they, they just see a need and they know how to just jump in and, and address that need and and you go and you think oh gosh that's you know I do that naturally and easily when other people kind of comment on it, they say, how did you do that so quickly, so fruitfully? Like, how did it make such a difference so quickly? And you think, well, that's just what happens. That feels really natural to you, but it's not necessarily natural. It may well be a gift from the spirit. So it's to pay attention to your own experience there about where do you find life and energy, joy as you're, as you're seeking to serve, as you're seeking to contribute. That'll be a real clue. And the other thing is that people... You know, gifts um, have a way of finding us out. Like what happens is, is it, the gifts that you have, um, the Lord will send people who need your gift. Mm-hmm. They'll send, he'll send people to you and it, and you can pay attention to that as well. You know, if you see a little pattern starting to observe of, you know, that there are people who are just really hurting and bruised in some, in some particular way and they just keep kind of popping up in my life. Well, the Lord... I think is clearly doing something there for a reason. And it's because you've got a gift to meet those people in whatever way that looks like. So paying attention to your experience uh, in yourself. And then as, as you see it at work in others, the second thing I'd say is, um, and, and you touched on this before, and I, I think it's really important. And, and that is that, um, that many times our gifts can be used within the life of a community, a parish, a particular ministry or something like that. And, um, I want to stress in that that by virtue of your baptism, you, you, you don't you don't need somebody's permission to actually exercise the gifts that you've been given by virtue of your baptism. You can just do those things. Okay, I think that's really important. Sometimes people think that they need to um, 
get the blessing of somebody in order to be able to use their gifts. That's not true. By virtue of your baptism, you can use your gifts. It is important to try and do that in good order. And so there's something about, you know, if it's a ministry in the parish or something like that, obviously it's with the blessing of, of a priest, of your priest. But I also think, and this is really, this is the crucial piece, is that um, so many gifts that we're called, we're called to use don't need to happen in the within the, the visible confines of the parish, as you were touching on before. Yeah, you can use those charisms in your workplace, those gifts in your workplace. You can be the presence of Jesus in that place. You can do it in your family, with your kids, with your spouse. Um, you might you might find that there's a group of people that you kind of join together and you do something and you and you start something together. It might be in a, a secular organization, you know, um, yeah, that your kids' footy team and you you you're the manager and you can be the presence of Jesus, bringing your gifts to that particular circumstance and situation. Um, if it was only about what happens inside the church, then actually what we would be is this kind of holy little huddle and an enclave. But what Jesus calls us to do is actually exercise our gifts for the sake of the world. And so um, a really prime place that they find their location and their and their fruitfulness is out, out there. So in some ways it, it can be a bit of a case of like going, where is it in my life already that I can I, I can make a contribution here that would help to bring you know the light and the grace and the peace of Jesus into that place or situation? That's beautiful. Thank you so much. That's, there's so much good stuff in this episode. And I really do want to encourage women to check out the center and what you're doing. And there'll be the links in the show notes. But can you give people a heads up as to where they can find information on social media and websites? Yep, terrific. So um, so if you want to know more about the Arete Centre and particularly about our Foundations of Missionary Leadership Program, the simplest way to do that is to head to our website. So that's aretecentre.org. Arete is spelled A-R-E-T-E and then it's centre.org. And that tells you all about the Foundations Program and, and the, the courses that make up that program. So you'll find all the details you need there. You can find us on Facebook Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram as well. Just plug Arete Centre in and we will pop up. Um, and uh, our Foundations of Missionary Leadership Program applications for next year are open now. Right. Um, so they then they close at the end of October. So uh, jump on. Places fill up pretty quickly, I'd, I'd have to say. So we, have, we do have a limited number of places um, just to um, particularly maintain that that experience. So um, jump on the website, have a look, and you'll you'll learn a lot more Fantastic. about the, the program. Wonderful. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a treat catching up with you. It's been great fun, Karen. Really fun to catch up and, and not too embarrassing considering, you know, all the places it could have gone to from our childhood. <laughs> so good. <laughs> God bless you. God bless Listen your ministry you. and all the really important, beautiful work that you're doing. And can I say, can I say thank you? Can I say God bless you and all that you're doing as well? Like I just um just want to affirm and, and encourage you so much. I it's amazing the the things that you that you have done and are doing. And just to all of your listeners too, may the Lord really bless you uh, in your life, um, in your key relationships and also in the ministry that God's calling you to as well. Beautiful. Thanks, Chris. Well, ladies, I really hope and pray that that conversation was a blessing for you. If you'd like to find out more about Father Chris's work with the Arete Centre, you can visit the links below in the show notes. I'd also like to draw your attention to the fact that the Arete Centre is having an online open night this coming week on Thursday, the 17th of August. You can find out more on their website. So once again, that link is in the show notes. I really encourage you to go on over and check out the aretecentre.org.
What Father Chris has developed with the Arete Centre is very much in line with our mission, purpose and vision here at The Genius Project. Here at The Genius Project, our heart is really to resource and equip women so that they can experience this transformation and this restoration which we spoke about in this week's episode. But then not to stop there, but to go on to discover their unique gifts and how they can use those gifts in service and contribution. Ladies, if you'd like to go deeper with this content, can I invite you to visit our website and check out the Catholic Genius Project Masterclass. This masterclass is a four-month journey of transformation where we take women through four rhythms of renewal. We look at a rhythm of rest, a rhythm of restoration, a rhythm of connection, and then a rhythm of creation. We move from being restored, these internal rhythms of restoration, to these outward rhythms of how we can connect with others and how we can actually discover our gifts, our mission, and our purpose. You can find out more about the masterclass on our website, www.geniusproject.co. Ladies, I'd love it if you could do me a small favor to help spread the word here at the Genius Podcast. And that would be just to flick on over to the podcast platform that you're listening to and leave a review and a rating. This really helps support the work here at the Genius Podcast. And I would be so grateful for your time. Until next week, ladies, have a beautiful week. God bless you. And I look forward to you joining us next week on the Genius Podcast. Okay.